Hello and welcome to the Ganatantra podcast. I am Sarayu Natarajan and I am Alok Prasanna Kumar. And in this week's episode continuing our series on federalism, we are joined by our first ever repeat guest, Dr. Kailash from the University of Hyderabad. Welcome Kailash. Thank you and a pleasure to be back. Yeah, glad glad to have you back Kailash. Uh, I mean before we start off, I think uh Uh, most of you know who Dr. Kailash is, but let me start off. I think the best way to introduce is the fact that for the last year, ever since we record that episode with Kailash, I have been going around wherever I speak about federalism or write about federalism, beating on the gospel of how regionalist parties are different from regional parties, and there's a reason why Kailash uh, is uh, one of our first repeat guests. Is probably because I think it completely changed the way we thought about federalism. Absolutely, and, and politics in India. It's not just your writings; it's also come up on the podcast multiple times with yeah. multiple guests, where yeah. we've been able to use this frame to think about particularly politics within states, yeah. uh, but also more broadly uh, outcomes, particularly in the context of the 2019 elections. Yeah. I'll read the more banal introduction <laughs> uh, for the benefit of listeners who've joined us more recently. Yeah. Uh, Dr. K. K. Kailash is with the Department of Political Science at the University of Hyderabad and has been associated with the Lokniti since 2000. His research interests focus on political parties and elections, coalition politics, and processes and issues of federalism in contemporary India. He is a member of the editorial managing team of the Studies in Indian Politics. He is an honorary fellow of the Center for Multilevel Federalism, Institute of Social Sciences, New Delhi. Before coming to Hyderabad Central University, he previously worked in Punjab University, Chandigarh, and the Regional Institute of Education at Bhopal. Welcome back Welcome Kailash. Back. Thank you so much. Yeah. And in this uh, week's episode what we really want to talk about is a theme that has been coming up again and again in the course of a lot of uh, episodes. But one thing which I thought that we should get a solid deep dive on is the idea of asymmetric federalism. Um and the fact that the, the idea that uh, the center or the federal uh, the state the national unit doesn't enjoy the exactly the same relation with every single subnational unit. uh is something that uh, i think is uh, very important to understand in the context of india so kailash perhaps we can just start with a little bit about the basics of asymmetric federalism for the benefit of our uh, listeners who may have just been introduced to the topic yeah and i think we did touch upon this issue a little bit in yeah. other episodes with dr suan as well as the episodes on the caa yeah. but i think the uh, sorry uh, on, on on jammu and kashmir but i think this is uh, something that's come to the fore very recently uh, as something that could also be a basis for mobilization mm. uh, in the electoral sphere so would love to hear uh, at least to start with an introduction of the idea and then we could dig deeper yeah the concept of asymmetric federalism was first used in 1965 by a scholar called charles dalton and he uses the concept very differently from the way we speak about it today he basically is looking at uh, studies of federalism that existed at that point of time and he says that these studies assume that all states or provinces within a federation had equal relationships with the center as well as with each other he then says that uh, these different states or regions vary in size population resources and so on therefore it is unlikely that they could have equal relationships either with the center or with the states so this is the original idea of what asymmetric federalism is and then he then goes on to say that we should therefore not think of symmetrical relationships between states or 
with the center but we should keep in mind that there they can be differential relationships mm -hmm. now today when we understand asymmetric federalism we understand it very differently from this and we speak of state some states or some regions or some units having different rights compared to others for instance having special powers or having some autonomous space which others do not have mm -hmm. or uh, which is what we understand federalism today so the first type of federalism which we spoke of in terms of different region states provinces etc that some would call as de facto asymmetry mm -hmm. and the legal constitutional sharing of power differently is called de jure asymmetry so mm -hmm. this is the background to asymmetric federalism yeah and i think india was always uh, i think in a, in a way de facto and de jure asymmetric federalism uh mostly because i think you know this is at least uh, ever even right at the start when you take when you took a, a state the size of uttar pradesh uh, and compared it to say even a tiny state like sikkim and go and the tinier states i think came into existence much later but even then you had a de facto difference in the uh, difference in the sizes and the economies of the various provinces uh, but also in the constitution itself uh, article 370 gave uh, jammu and kashmir a special status and that was followed up with multiple other states Uh, but i think we sort of uh, and as saryu was also uh, discussing a little bit uh, prior to this podcast something about the way in which asymmetric federalism has played out in the politics of uh, different states yeah, yeah so uh, even if you were to look at the in the constitution itself when uh, so the when the states were actually like the 1951 constitution we had actually four categories of states yeah so you had the part a states the part b part c and part d and each of them had a different relationship with the former that is the british government so for instance part a was ruled directly by the british part b had princely states who had some sort of a different relationship with the uh, british government part c was all the remaining uh, princely states and part d was all the other territories that were there now each of these had a sort of different negotiating and bargaining power when they actually came into the union of india mm -hmm. so the i think this whole idea of asymmetry in terms of let's say the practice of it and in terms of the bargaining that goes on actually begins immediately after independence even in the formation of the union of india so the for instance when i think privy purses were given i think this was based on a bargain where they took money and security in exchange for authority yeah yeah so this so this is the this is the bargaining that goes on and this is i think it's part of the whole idea of federalism that there is constant uh bargaining and constant compromises that are being made so we should look at asymmetric federalism not merely as a structure that is there uh -huh. but it's an ongoing process where there is this continuous negotiation that goes on and to how do we imagine in some ways you know the end of this kind of uh, co continuous negotiation as well as the sort of the idea of asymmetric federalism is it is it in some ways imagined because it is important to think about the way in which states need to be held together uh, or does it come from an idea that somehow uh, asymmetric federal arrangements can play a role in protection of certain kinds of minorities because uh, what drives this process of ongoing negotiation in that sense okay i think you 
get uh, what you speaking of is there in the literature which makes a distinction between the normative idea between asymmetric fatalism uh-huh. and a more functional dimension of asymmetric fatalism the normative dimension actually speaks at when there are diversities and when they have when there are cultural uh, entities which have special rights they should be respected they should be recognized uh-huh. and that is the normative dimension there okay whereas the functional one is that where you would creatively use this mechanism mm-hmm. to accommodate diversity and also sort out problems as they go by understood so and sorry these elements in the indian constitution understood but the indian experience has has been mixed in terms of at least the functional dimension uh, which is you know in in the ability to sort of uh, grant special protection to cultural and national minorities so how would how would one think about the indian experience of asymmetrical asymmetric federalism in the context of these uh, normative and functional goals yeah so there is one sharp critique that has come on the working of asymmetric federalism in india and that is by louise tillen of course Yes, so she actually says that the normative idea is actually missing in the Indian Constitution, which is the idea that you states need to be held together by an idea of asymmetric federalism. No, when we give, uh, when we institute asymmetric federalism, was it with the express purpose of recognizing diversity? Was it for protecting certain cultural rights, religious rights, or was it only for? a short term mechanism to tide over some crisis understood so she argues and she comes out very sharply in i think a couple of writings where she would say that the instance of jnk is not the normative dimension it was more of a functional thing where you had a particular situation at hand you wanted to deal with it and consequently you gave jnk a special status right but but also i i wonder if the response to that critique is also that uh nobody thought of this in advance and at, 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 in the sense that uh, india as a constitutional democratic republic was so new so unimaginable and so different from everything else that came before it that in some ways the jnk practice like like we made the we made a principle of pragmatism if you so to speak that the pragmatic need to keep jnk within the indian union also gave a framework for future asymmetric federalism yes i think uh, that's a reasonable uh, response to th- because when the indian constitution was adopted mm-hmm. i don't think the concept of asymmetric federalism itself existed that's right so scholars came up with justifications much later and it was with the experience of say canada and spain belgium etc that the asymmetric idea gets you know gets moving so i think india as you say alok is yeah. much ahead of that and then how do we think about how the f- a- a- experience of asymmetric federalism has played out and i particularly speak about uh, one context or i would love to sort of uh, talk a little bit more about the way in which asymmetric federal arrangements have played out in the electoral competition at the state level um and what that has meant for uh both state level politics and the way in which in the other way around which is the way in which these debates are framed in national elections particularly more recently so if we are, are we speaking of the jnk case or some in other locations as well i think 
more recently the experience would be the jnk example uh, not so much for the question of electoral competition in jnk i think that's a broader question uh, but yeah. i think the latter is something that we would love to talk about in the context of jnk especially okay so we'll talk about it maybe in the context of the idea of the bjp and what it's doing with the ca and so on sure in that context i could speak of the asymmetric federalism yes please okay so i think the bjp's imagination of what india is is i think different from a lot of what we had thought of it or what most of us must have done in our own school textbooks etc the idea of how do you imagine a nation that's very different and here i think we should go to a writing that came out sometime in 2012 where there was these three scholars alfred stephen juan lins and yogendra yadav who make a distinction between what they call as nation state and state nations yeah yeah okay so in nation state the basic idea is that the boundaries territorial boundaries of the nation coincide with the cultural boundaries hmm. so within a nation you will have only one dominant cultural entity that exists right whereas in a state nation there is this recognition of diversity there is this recognition that they can be uh, both complementary identities and multiple identities that could actually exist together a good example of this is that maybe i could be somebody i could be a tamil and i could be an indian at the same time yes so the scope for that doesn't exist in a nation state whereas in a state nation state this diversity is celebrated and that's where the connection to asymmetric federalism is so if you celebrate diversity if that is what your idea of a nation is then there should be mechanisms to protect these diversities and therefore asymmetric federalism is a very useful mechanism for taking care of diversity that exist in of different types that exist in different parts of the country correct and this is i guess perhaps the way in which the functional intersects with the normative or you know with the normative in mind because that relates to the idea of the way the nation is framed uh, asymmetric federalism is therefore enacted uh, i am reminded actually of an episode we did very recently uh, with a film critic uh, mk raghavendra and he brought up this idea of how regional cinema portrays an identity uh of an individual which coexists with a broader national identity and the two sometimes are at odds with each other but coexist in every individual yeah. i think uh, that is the cinematic way of speaking to the point you just made yeah yes i think it says the same thing right <laughs> and uh, i actually one one point that i sort of want to uh, develop uh, and i sort of wrote this in a very it is a sort of response to and in the context of certain debates that uh, uh, were going on after uh, 370 was repealed is uh, in in a sense it's it's also a large normative point is that is asymmetric federalism perhaps the way to go for india and not just say for the peripheries because as it stands the even if you take out the 370 in jammu and kashmir most of the provisions which create asymmetric federalism in india relate mm-hmm. either to uh, the northeast uh, or mm-hmm. some very small parts of say uh karnataka and telangana no even telangana i think uh, it's well it's, it's still there actually it related mm-hmm. only karnataka and, uh, in some parts of karnataka and telangana mm-hmm. would it i mean uh, in a sense it was a slightly provocative piece that i wrote and i thought we could talk a little bit about it 
would it make mm-hmm. sense for each indian state to create have its own bargain with the nation to come up with a different model of uh, federal relations instead of having the same thing with a few exceptions like as it still stands in india asymmetric federalism seems to be somewhat of an ex- uh, exception at least de jure asymmetric federalism is a somewhat of an exception to the larger idea that each state's relation with the indian nation is the same right so when you, when you look at the literature on federalism they actually expect that there will be this constant bargaining right it is not something given okay and even the literature and let me use an analogy here that might be exa- better thing to do is that for example it is actually very difficult to maintain a federation Hmm. It's like you learn to cycle, right? And you need to constantly you want to go forward and that you need to maintain balance. That's right. So federalism is also something like that. Okay. Like you need to constantly accommodate these diversities that will keep coming up with greater demands, mm-hmm. something here, something there. Mm-hmm. And yet you need to move forward. Right. So how do you balance yourself? Mm-hmm. take care of these demands so that they don't spiral into some sort of secessionist demands or somebody saying that they want to they don't want to be part of the union yeah you want to keep them inside yeah and still go forward right and for the other side mm-hmm. they want to be in the federation mm-hmm. and at some point of time they also don't want to be in the federation right. it's like a student who is in my class and <laughs> same time doesn't want to be in the class as well <laughs> <laughs> and i mean i suppose those of us who have taught at some level have that uh, feeling at some level point but i i i just sort of uh, wondered i mean in the sense that could each state potentially and yeah it's about balancing the demands also but if if i want to push a little bit further on that if tomorrow karnataka were to say and were to sort of get a i don't know some sort of a provision in the constitution which would say that the central government will only hire uh people for jobs in Karnataka who are Kannada speakers by the way that's an actual demand uh, mm-hmm. there's a very strong uh, there's a growing I won't say very strong but there's a growing demand that you know uh, when the central government hires people to work in its offices in Karnataka it should only post it should only hire people who have uh, worked there not say talking mm-hmm. about the IAS ranks and so on supposing if there were a demand like that to be made and supposing mm-hmm. if you know there was it had sufficient credibility uh mm-hmm. would would say the constitutional structure and would like say the larger idea of a federalism be affected by something like this would it be either too much to one side or do you see that as part of the balancing act uh i think that will have in the long run it will have it will have a, a negative impact on the federal model if right. everyone were to do that yeah uh because even when you when we come let's get back to the asymmetric idea even within that for instance when you give special powers to a particular state yeah that takes care of only the larger minority which is a national minority Correct. it could be a majority in that particular state yes so then what happens to regional minorities within that yeah so for example migrants who come from other states mm. so i think this suggestion or this thing demands like this yeah. will have other effects yeah. and then it will have negative impact on you want to remain as a nation mm. that will not be maintained at all so i think we should somewhere find a balance which yeah. is, that's not the balance that we are looking for that that's that's not because and because it's an interesting thing to think about because we are seeing such i mean at least at the local level let's say it's not happening at the national level yet we are seeing say various states quote unquote reserve jobs because the term reserve doesn't really make sense in say private sector jobs for uh, locals and so on and so forth and maybe this is going to be one of those tricky things for 
both the larger nation and the state to balance out you know, as you made use that great metaphor of a cycle how do you ensure that uh, you sufficiently account for uh, diversity uh, while you are sort of keeping the nation together uh, one we could also think whether this question comes up because of the particular economic situation we are in at a, this point of time right yeah is it is it coming up because of the lack of em- employment opportunities around mm-hmm. the country mm-hmm. because we never i don't think i heard about it when we were on the on those uh, between say 90 uh, that high growth rate time i that don't think true. such demands yeah, at true. all came at all yeah yeah that's yeah. true so i think this is more contextual and it's probably will pass if we ever break mm. free from this uh, low growth okay. stage mm. okay. So it's a function of the economy as much as it is uh, uh, related to the nature of the question itself. Mm. In that sense, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. So I think that's uh, there's one la- one last point that I sort of wanted to bring before we wind up this uh, episode, uh, and that's it, it. This is to look at this issue. I mean, we've been speaking about it largely in the context of India, but one of the other great federal projects, if you if I want mm-hmm. to call it that, is the something like say the European Union. uh mm-hmm. and this is something that uh, at least for me as somebody who studies federalism in india who thinks about it so like to think about it i find this brexit process very fascinating and mm-hmm. in as much as uh, uh, i i sort of try and troll a few people by sort of saying you know the european union should learn something about uh, federalism from india and mm-hmm. i wonder if at some point um, maybe the european union has to have a all or nothing kind of a model that maybe giving too many people too many options to stay in and out and choosing this or that can sometimes lead to the kinds of political and other crises that uh, has led to something like brexit yes i think uh, if you were to make a comparison between india and brexit i think brexit also uh, the why britain went out would yeah. also be because i think they was they were getting too centralized okay mm. i think you were just getting wanted to change everything at one go and have everything centralized with the european union i think that's where the resistance starts coming in so mm. i don't think they got their balance right okay okay so i would say that you still need to give these different spaces to states mm-hmm. and you need to work with that right to we nobody wanted to come and become one union like union in the sense that everybody put everything give off everything right. but they all want to maintain their distinctiveness yes. and yet enjoy the benefits of being in the union right and that's a very difficult balance yeah, yeah. so i think as you say more you keep looking at india and you, i think we need to appreciate that huh. it, it is and and it's it's quite a remarkable thing you know keeping some a country as diverse as you know uh, distinct in so many different ways and as difficult or uh, as india somewhat together not to say that a perfect job has been done and everything could right. be much better i think what something like brexit tells us that even if we can't fit it into neat, neat theoretical framework something has been struck about that balance yeah. that right. balance that keeps enough of it going at the same time without falling apart that right. uh, manages to keep us going yeah and i also think there's to some extent something to be made of the point that uh, you made earlier in the context of uh, the work of uh, stepan lins and uh, yadav which is the idea that these are nations before 
they are components of a, of another entity yeah. uh, in that the territorial boundaries and the identity in very many of the european union nations does coincide yeah. uh, and okay. they are the classic example that is put forth uh, when we do talk about the idea of uh, nation states yeah right anyway that's that's uh, all that we have time for uh, thank you so much kailash for being on our podcast once again i'm sure we're going to want to talk to you soon <laughs> yes. kailash i think particularly in the context of your work on welfare yeah. uh, i feel like that episode is coming up uh, very Sometimes shortly so. in the yes. next season perhaps yes. okay thank you for having me here yes and uh, thank you all for tuning into this episode uh, we'll be back with more episodes shortly thank you bye bye